Hi everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Marketing Week's This Much I Learn podcast. I'm Charlotte Rogers, Associate Editor at Marketing Week, and today I'm discussing our opening up campaign to democratise access to marketing careers. The campaign was informed by exclusive career and salary survey data, which reveals a mean socioeconomic pay gap within marketing of 19.1%. I'm joined by two marketing leaders who are both passionate about the pressing need to improve access for talent from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. Marks and Spencer Food Marketing Director Shari Crammond is an advocate for improving the socioeconomic diversity of marketing. An author and mentor to underprivileged girls, Crammond is inspired by her own childhood to open doors for new talent. She is joined by Andy Nairn, founder of creative agency Lucky Generals and the author of Go Look Yourself. Believing it's time to take class seriously, Nairn is donating all royalties from his book to Commercial Break to help working class talent get into the creative industries. Welcome, Shari and Andy. It feels like there's so much to discuss. So to kick off, Shari, if I could start with you, can you tell us a bit more about your background and what inspires you to take such a keen interest in widening the socio-economic diversity of marketing? Yes, thank you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for asking me on. So I grew up in a very uh, low-income family in central Scotland. And uh, for those who don't know my sort of, you know, story, I was starting big school at 11 years old and didn't have the blazer for the school. We couldn't afford to buy the uniform. So we went round the secondhand shops, got the blazer. Brilliant. My first day of school, went to my best friend's house, knocked on her door. And what she said was, oh, do you know you're in the wrong colour? And what I hadn't appreciated was the school had updated the blazer. Still blue, but a totally different shade of blue. And what I felt like doing is running home crying to my mum. But what I did do instead is say, oh, yes, I do know, but I prefer this colour. And on my first day of school, I felt like all children that day said to me, do you know you're in the wrong colour? And to each and every one, I said, I do know, but I prefer this colour. And at the end of the day, walking home, I actually did prefer my blazer colour. And it was one of the things that I learned that day that I think has helped me to be uh, the success that, that I am now with this amazing job at M&S and having lived and worked all over the world. Um, and that was the, the power of the mind and how you should be sort of careful what you tell yourself. And I think particularly, uh, you know, from my experience, you know, I prefer this colour, I prefer this colour said over and over again. And then eventually I did prefer that colour. But a lot of people from my background maybe would doubt themselves a bit more. You know, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I, you know, I haven't got any support. And the more you say these things, the more it becomes your truth. So from a young age, I became really fascinated with the power of the mind and the psychology of achievement and how I'd gone from being horrified at the blazer to genuinely preferring it and I became really passionate about sharing with other people you know the, the, the possibilities and and how to be successful if you just change your mindset which is why I wrote my book win your lottery because a lot of people from my background their goal in life is to win the lottery and they're not going to win the lottery jackpot um, but they can win the lottery the lottery of life so I'm very very passionate about trying to show people look if I can do it you know, I'm not the smartest person in any room and certainly not the smartest person on this call. But if I can do it, other people can too, if they just change their mindset and follow some of the tips in the book. Shari, I just find it so inspirational to kind of hear your story and how you took that experience and completely flipped the script. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, and Andy, you wrote for our opening up campaign that class should not become the forgotten child of diversity. Why do you think class is not top of the agenda? I think partly it's like a, there's a British cultural thing where it's been a bit of a taboo subject and 
uh, for many years, people have kind of pretended it doesn't exist. And especially now, you know, whenever a politician mentions it, it's kind of put down as, oh, we don't want to go back to those old fashioned class wars. And it's made to feel like a bit of a backwards you know, sort of looking sort of dimension, whereas actually it's still very much alive and well. If you ask any person from outside of this country when they visit the country, they will tell you that the class divide is still very much alive and well here. And and it's really visible in the data as well, which you've um, covered yourself. So I think it's a taboo subject. And then if we're being more charitable, it's also a little bit harder to define sometimes than other um, aspects of difference that we're all trying to address so I think there's been, um, you know, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, almost like moving on from class and deciding, well, we've got all these other things that we need to think about rightly um, and we'll just put class down to the bottom of the list because it's a bit harder. People don't really want to engage with it or talk about it, or, you know, so we'll be better focusing on other things. But the, the irony is that class, you know, all roads lead there eventually. So lots of the other things that we're rightly concerned about, you know, things like race, and so on, uh, or LGBTQ, or everything really, um, has a class-based element to it as well. And so if we were to spend more time addressing class, I think we'd probably also have much more success dealing with some of the other things that we need to be thinking about at the same time. I do think some businesses are starting to change. You know, just recently I was asked to speak um, for a cohort of uh, students who are on a Morgan Stanley programme, for example, because they want to bring people into banking from more diverse backgrounds. And they sort of like like me think, you know, diversity of thinking, diversity of thought is a really key element of diversity. I said, I was saying to someone in my team just the other day, you know, if we all thought the same, you'd only need one of us. And I think it's really important that we talk about diversity of thought. And you're only going to get that if you have people with different backgrounds or different experiences. That's what, you know, in our line of work, creativity, that's what creativity is, isn't it? It's the bouncing around of ideas and you know, colliding things from different worlds and experiences. And um, if you've just got a very narrow view of the world, that is a smaller sort of creative canvas to paint on. And, you know, the, again, the irony is so much of pop culture these days, whether it's fashion or music or, you know, literature um, or film or anything like that is is coming out from a working class background um, and that's a broader form of, you know, uh, creativity, you know, TikTokers, all, all sorts of different people that if we're not careful, we just turn our backs on and exclude from our industry when we should be throwing the doors open and um, welcoming people in. Well, absolutely. And, I, and to that point, I wondered whether brands talk about prioritising diverse hiring, but is it a case that that they do so without actually ensuring that the culture, once those people get there, is inclusive enough to retain them. You know, Shari, do you have a view on that, that actually it's a culture change and you can't just recruit people and then when they come, kind of, they don't feel welcome? Yeah, I mean, certainly where I am at MS, we have a brilliant programme that I think is uh, is one that it's probably worth sharing. And, and we have a reverse mentoring programme. And what we do is we match up senior leaders in the business with uh you know, new people coming into the business that are from a different background. And then that gives the opportunity for both to learn. And I think it's it's really, really valuable. You know, in a broad retailer like m and it's really important that, that our team and our people reflect the customers and, and, you know, the society that we operate in. 
Um, so with the reverse mentoring program, it's what is it they say? Every day is a school day. Um, and I've learned so much from being part of that program. And I know other people have too. Andy, do you have a view on how you kind of make the culture right so that you can retain people? Because there is a lot of effort, you know, you brands talk about wanting to, to do diverse recruitment, but then you have to retain people. They have to feel welcome when they get there. Yeah, I think that's been the big learn from a lot of people. And, and actually, you know, the organisation that um, you mentioned before that I'm giving all the money from the book to Commercial Break, they've kind of scaled back their activities in recruitment um, because what they found was, as you say, they were rec- getting helping lots of companies recruit people from this background and then they were all getting spat out of the system quite quickly. So, um, you know, they're trying to uh, focus on in- inclusion now. And it, it's a lot of it, again, because class is a slightly more subtle sort of invisible influence is just trying to walk through your company's culture with different with a different sort of lens and looking at things that you might find are like normal or like you know sort of uh, par for the course but but that can lead to that sort of um I love that blue blazer green blazer uh, sort of uh, story that you just told there Shari and and there's lots of that I think evident in working cultures if you're not careful you know there might be an assumption that you go to a particular sort of entertainment or that you when you take someone out to a a restaurant you know um that they are going to be as familiar with just uh that sort of posh restaurant as 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 you are sort of thing and you might come from a very different background so people can be thrown by those sort of little things but they can make them feel like they're having to explain their blazer choice or the fact that they haven't they don't quite know what they're doing uh, in this sort of social setting, you know, I, I think there's a lot of subtle things that you just need to sort of walk through everything you do um, and give it a little once over. W- w- one of the things I think that we collectively do as an industry, uh, I think, uh, in marketing is sometimes we look down on uh, working class consumers and then that filters through to anyone who's working class in the business because they're going to think, oh, well, God, that, if that's how they speak about um my community maybe that's what they think about uh me too so i I think there's there's tons of you know work to be done about do we do enough research amongst that audience how do we present them pen portraits you know the names that we attach to 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 groups can be sort of derogatory and sort of you know i always joke about you know it's always things like i mean it's not quite this but you sort of get this sense it's like stupid sharon and you know down trodden Doreen sort of thing we don't obviously say that sort of thing but if you read some sort of um targeting documents you you sort of get a sense that you've got these segments down here that nobody wants and then here's our nice posh lovely aspirational ones up here that we do want to target and that that has a very invidious effect on not only the ultimate on on the work but also on the people that are in the business trying to create that sort of work yeah, that's that's a really interesting point about how the internal and the external kind of mix. And on this recruitment point, you probably both have advice on what could be done to expand shortlists for roles so that you actually have people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds up for each role. Like, Shari, is that something that you think about MS is kind of making sure that those people are at least on the shortlist? Yeah, I think even before the shortlist, it's making sure that people even understand what type of jobs are available. You know, when I when I grew up, all I knew is I was quite good at English and writing. 
So that, and I thought that the only job I would be able to do would be a journalist because I hadn't particularly heard of marketing and I certainly didn't know the variety of jobs you can get in marketing. You know, one of the things that I do is I mentor, you mentioned it at the beginning, I mentor a group of girls from a school in Scotland called our Baroth Academy. They're all about 14, 15 years old. I've been mentoring them for over a year now and we brought them down to London to M&S. They spent three days with us and they spent time and in workshops and presentations and discussing with with lots of different people in lots of different roles by the time they went away they said you know quotes like who knew tiktok could be an actual job um and so many other things too and and what i would like to do is because of course there's things that our hr teams are doing to make sure that we get really truly diverse shortlists but i'd love to challenge sort of everyone listening to this who you know who's already in marketing is like what are you doing and what are you sort of doing to give back because you know it's, it doesn't take rocket science to to then go and and mentor a group of girls at a school or go back to your school or your college or or do something to give back you know often lots of people say to me when they're trying to develop their career you know oh, I need to have a mentor who's going to be my mentor and I say whose mentor are you what are you going to do to give back because if people don't know about these types of jobs because of the background they're from then how are they ever going to apply to be on the shortlist in the first place I mean that's a brilliant point Andy do you have a view on that in just terms of how we've got to get the message about marketing out there yeah that really sort of chimes it's just huge swathes of the population that are so distant from what we do and would never imagine it my dad left school at 14 from Glasgow and sort of um end up being a, did all sorts of jobs and end up being a news agent his standing joke was that um he was a, a news baron um and it was like a, a newspaper magnate but he had this little sort of news agent in a in a wee town in the borders and and um but the idea of me actually working in the media with it was just like completely n- nobody had ever come to our school i've never bumped into anyone from my school that's in that line of work in the 30 years that I've been down here. Whereas I've met multiple people from multiple other schools, um, you know, that are from a, a different background. And you, you think, God, this, that's like the 20th person I've met from that school sort of in in, uh, in the last sort of few years. So it's getting different places that aren't covered by the usual sort of milk rounds and usual sort of um, getting a bit off the beaten track. We've, we've partnered with Middlesex University uh, which is a really good university, but with a very high um, percentage of um, working class um, students, and it, you know, perhaps people that we might not otherwise um, meet. And then I think it's just making sure that you're running that process with an open eye, watching out for your own biases. You know, um, making sure when, for instance, someone you might have two students or two, you know, potential candidates, one who's got an amazing gap year and done all sorts of exciting, interesting things which you know should be applauded and not don't let's not mark that down but that might not have been available to the other candidate who might have spent their summer working in a factory or you know call center doing all those other sort of things that you might need to do just to bring some money in and they might be equally good but just didn't have that sort of life opportunity to get the same things on on their cv Um, and accents are another thing often make people make huge judgments based on someone's accent about how intelligent they are and and people have got all sorts of biases about that sort of thing. And so just making sure that the people who are handling the recruitment are uh, are diverse themselves and are able to kind of, um, you know, not fall into those pitfalls. Absolutely. And, and there's something 
that strikes me as well is that there's different paths into the industry and you know um, we've written a lot about in marketing week in terms of not everyone has to have a degree or there's kind of different routes and Shari I know we've spoken about apprenticeships before do you think that's a way in marketing apprenticeships and more brands exploring different routes in for talent and why do you think it's been traditionally quite slow up until now? Look, I um, spent some time recently with this most wonderful uh, young lady um, uh, just at the start of her career from Unilever. I think I actually was introduced to her through a Marketing Week event, actually. Uh, And she is flying as a result of doing a marketing apprenticeship. And she has uh, no student debt, (laughs) no student debt. And she's sort of, uh, you know, much more senior now than than other grads of of the sort of same age as her that have just come through. And I think part of it is when people think apprenticeships, they think I'm going to do something in the building industry. They, they're just not aware that these types of apprenticeships actually exist. But again, people listening to this podcast, what are you going to do? You know, what I've been doing is speaking to my HR team and saying, right, what can we do? You know, how can I make marketing the department that really champions these apprenticeships? And I think Martin Week's doing a really great job of this too. Um, and I think if anyone listening does want some more information, there's a brilliant chap called uh, Richie Metta who's the uh, chief exec of the School of Marketing. He is so passionate about this area and has so much great information. So if you think that can be something that your organisation can look at, then I would suggest uh, reaching out to Richie as well. Richie's an absolute wonder. Um, He knows so much. I mean, Andy, from your perspective, do you see the brands that you're working with um, having marketing apprentices uh, on staff? Is that something that you explore at Lucky Generals? Is it something that you just want to see different routes into the industry in general? Yeah, we're definitely really interested in it. I suppose the the only caution I have just at this specific moment in time is that training that is available don't always match up. And so some just some of the logistics don't always work out um, for a business like ours always, you know, so some of the sort of training that comes as part of your sort of um, apprenticeship levy, they don't always match the kind of work that you would end up doing at a place like this. And so it's sort of... Um, I guess there's maybe a little bit of a catch up and of supply and demand sort of thing between the workforce and and the, the people that create the sort of um, schemes to sort of uh, uh, course correct a little bit there. But in general, I think it's a really good thing because that you know, as we've all said, it just opens up a slightly different avenue for slightly different people. And I think they're becoming more. It's becoming more understood now that it's a can be a really good you know uh, alternative for kids as well. Um, you know, so that both for young people and employers, it can be a really good alternative. Certainly can. And and I think just to come back to something that we spoke about and you touched on earlier, Andy, was around the creative. And I'd love to get your view on how you think creatively brands should ensure that they represent people from working class backgrounds in their communications without relying on cliches. Yeah, I think that the issue of cliche is, uh, is one that runs right across advertising because often we're trying to condense things into very short pithy uh, sound bites and time lengths and you end up with stereotypes intentionally or not and and with class it's often used as a sort of a a sort of stereotype is you know that people are either sort of sad when, when you, you they don't have working class people sort of cast at all or when they do they're sort of there as a quick cipher of um, a bit downtrodden and miserable um, or uh, maybe a bit bit stupid and ill-educated or maybe a bit dodgy or lazy or a bit on the edge you know sort of um so there's a lot of just like really unhelpful uh sort of uh stereotypes sort of at play there 
And, you know, we just, this is just like a huge chunk of the population. It's like 30 odd percent of the population. And, you know, so all of life's um, rich diversity and glory should be sort of represented there rather than sort of either hiding people from uh, that background or or just sort of uh, representing these kind of one-dimensional sort of characters. I think people are maybe getting a little bit better at this now, um, but it, that, again, will only fundamentally change when you have more people in the industry from that background that can represent, you know, the, the whole rich, joyful diversity, you know, the fun of working-class um, life, not just the sort of somewhat miserable, grimy sort of depictions that you see quite a lot of, um, you know. So I think it, it's going to take time. And it's really an important point as well, though, because if advertising doesn't reflect the the customer base or, or, or real society, it doesn't really feel real or authentic. You know, in my experience, people believe people like themselves. Um, and word of mouth is probably one of the most effective types of marketing that you can do. One of the things that we've done at MS to really build on this is all of our stores have got their own Facebook account um, and a few hundred stores have also got a TikTok account. Um, and, and we centrally uh, decide what are the key messages or the key campaigns or the key products that we want stores to get behind in a week. But then we ask them to communicate it in their own unique way and put it out on their social channels. And this now reaches about 4 million people every single week. You know, I said how important word of mouth was. You know, if one of my friends said to me, gosh, Sherry, there's this new TV show, it's amazing. I'd be much more likely to watch it than if I just saw an ad in a magazine for a new TV show. Um, And our colleagues that are on social media speaking to people in their communities, you know, they, they live in the communities. They probably know some of the customers by name. And I just think it can have so much more impact and is so much more sort of real and authentic and it's certainly been a, a huge success for us in terms of complementing the more traditional advertising channels too i'd, I'd really echo that i mean if, if our, our top you know three or four clients if i think about them are you know, people at amazon the co-op you know yorkshire tea there's so mass market so to exclude a huge chunk of the audiences that they serve is it's just going to mean that your work doesn't resonate with the people that you're trying to persuade. And actually, it would be off-brand, you know, to be if we went in with a very sort of, um, you know, highfalutin and sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, non-reflective sort of um, tone or depictions of what life is all about. Um, it's not just the right thing to do. As with so many of these things, fundamentally, first and foremost, it's just the right thing to do. But also, it's just commercially stupid. Uh, not to reflect uh, the audience uh, in the way that real life does. Without doubt. And, and I suppose kind of reflecting on everything that we've spoken about in this podcast and, and that figure that I kind of kicked off with, that 19.1% socioeconomic pay gap figure that, that we found in our career and salary survey research this year. What change do you want to see? Like if we were to have this conversation again in 2023, what would you like to see is kind of moving in the right direction in terms of opening doors for, for talent from, from working class backgrounds. Sherry, if I could start with you. Well, there's a couple of things that, it's funny, one of the things that I wish is that, um, you know, when you have career discussions in education, particularly in secondary schools, that uh, I wish that these career discussions had been more than, you know, oh, you're good at English, so you have to be a journalist. So how do we sort of broaden there? But also I think what isn't taught in schools is self-belief and people to believe that anything is possible and you can break through. Which sort of builds me to, I think, my, my final point I'd want to leave everybody with. You know, I talked about 
the mentorship program that I do with our Bros Academy. And and what I would like to see this year is is every person listening to this to think to take some accountability themselves to take action, whether that's speaking to your organisation about the apprenticeship programmes or whether it's saying, what can I do to go back and mentor? Because you might think, well, you know, it's only one school or it's only one group of, of 20 people. But if everybody listening did that, we could actually have quite a big impact. That's great advice. Andy, what would you say? What change do you want to see? I would sort of build on that by saying, um, I think the things that Shari mentioned there are, are long-term initiatives. You know, my, my big thing is that this is, for all the reasons we described, this taboo is a long-term and deep-rooted thing in this country. So it's not going to change overnight. So I think what people have done in their desire to either do something or perhaps, if I'm being more cynical, to be seen to do something is there's been a flurry of activity, lots of little one-off initiatives, but that, that's not going to change overnight. So so what I think we've got to do is almost like do less, but over, you know, commit to fewer relationships perhaps, but over the long term. So, you know, for instance, Sherry's um, mention of our growth, that's a great stick, let's, you know, stick with our growth. That's a brilliant thing to s- sort of stick with. In our case, we're going to stick with Middlesex. There's loads of other good people doing all sorts of other good things, but I think we'll get more out of a really deep and rich relationship with Middlesex over many years than just dotting about with lots of other people. So uh, it's the same with Commercial Break. We're sticking with them now. We were partnering with lots of people, but now we're going to really commit to them um, on that side of the business. So my suggestion would be take a look at all the gazillions of things you're probably doing in this space um, and really pick the ones that you think are going to make a difference over the long term and then double down on them and really sort of see them as long-term um, game changers uh, rather than, you know, um, flitting about from scheme to scheme, hoping that, you know, lots of little bitty things is going to make a difference. It, it probably isn't. It's just such good advice. And I just want to say thank you both so much for kind of just your commitment to wanting to, to smash open that taboo and kind of get have this conversation because we need to have it as an industry. Um, and it's great to hear people of influence kind of moving in this direction wanting to make a change so thank you both um we hope you enjoyed the latest edition of marketing weeks this much i podcast and check out the next episode coming soon on apple Podcasts, spotify and soundcloud that just leaves me to thank shari and andy and you for listening thanks <laughs>